Hey, it's great to see all of you here today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we're just thrilled that you're here. And I'm glad that we didn't have any bad weather come through like last weekend. Last weekend, uh, we ended up having to cancel our Saturday night service and our first service on Sunday, and uh, probably didn't affect any of you in here, but, but I'm glad that we were able to do that. And, um, and, and what was, I was really happy about is you may not know this, but this service right here is live streamed. Um, so there's people joining us from all over the place to watch this. And uh, I was told last week that our live stream, the amount of people joining us online for worship was the largest number that we've ever had, which makes sense because of the weather and people staying home. But I'm just really thankful that we had that um, available for people to take advantage of. Now, speaking of the live stream, before we go to the word today, let me just say a, a quick word about what we're trying to do with that and our online presence. Several years ago, we started recording the sermons and we posted them on our website and we did that primarily so that people who couldn't join us that Sunday, our church family, could stay up with the series and, or whatever we were preaching, and they would still feel connected. That's, that's why we did it for our church family. And then what we found is that there were also people who were looking for churches, and they were watching these videos, and they were deciding if they wanted to come to church here. And it kind of became a really good outreach for us as a church. And, and we would hear people say very often, it's like, well, this is my first visit to New Life but I've been watching online for a while now, and maybe that was your story as well, and, and that was awesome. Then, and then about, a, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, we started live streaming. The technology was such that we could do that easily enough, and we had the equipment, and uh, we started live streaming for very much the same, the same reasons, and um, it's just been, been a really, really good thing. Not only that, but over the past couple years, we have tried to make an intentional effort to be a larger presence on social media. That's just where our world is at today. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. And a lot of people now, when they're looking for a church, they will hunt for a church, and maybe this was your story, they will hunt for a church on the internet first, and they'll check out the church's social media presence, and then if that's enticing, maybe they'll check out um, the website, maybe they'll give a visit. But we started to be more intentional with that. So if you haven't liked um, New Life social media pages. You can find those um, links in the app. We'd love for you to like and share and, and uh, check in. And we, we'd encourage all of you to check in when you come. It's just joining the church and getting the word out about Jesus on a platform that a lot of people see and a lot of people are familiar with. Familiar with. And, if, and if you do like New Life's Facebook page, we put stuff out every day, multiple times a day. Stuff happening at the church, pictures and things like that. But we'd love for you to you know, kind of be a part of that part of the church. Also, have you seen all those magnets and window clings on people's cars around town. I'd invite all of you, if you wanted to slap one of those on your car and just kind of be a witness for the church and for the Lord, there's been a lot of great spiritual conversations started because somebody said, what's that thing on the back of your car? And it's given people an opportunity. If you want one of those, they're at our welcome center. We got big stacks of the clings and the magnets. You just take whatever you want on your way out of here today. We'd love for you to represent. But I just kind of want to tell you what we were trying to accomplish with, with some of those things. Um, it's interesting, our online presence, it was intended to help our church family stay connected. But what God has done with that, it's, it's broadened our reach out to our community. It's broadened our reach out to people all over the United States. And in some cases, even around the world, the ministry of our church is continuing to bless people. Here, case in point, a few months ago, um, somebody reached out for the church because they saw one of our services online and they started interacting with Pastor John, our worship pastor online. And this person was from the country of Iran. Somehow they found us. And so John is interacting with them and they're asking questions about faith. And at the end of that whole interaction, this person in Iran said, I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. 
I mean, that's just an incredible, we didn't see that coming. That's not why we started the live stream, but something that God did with it. Here's something else that you may not realize. So we have, there's a Christian brother, he's probably watching right now, that joins us every Sunday for this 10 a.m. live stream service. And we have gotten connected to this, this service. Um, he can, you know, there's a lot of people that can't be in church for whatever reason, and they've connected with us online. He's one of them. He's, he's a pastor in India. He oversees a lot of churches and other pastors. And this service provides a tremendous encouragement and blessing to him. And out of that has come other things. Like what I do every week, I email him my sermon. He translates that into his language. And then he shares that with all of the pastors that he works with and they share it with their churches and it helps them with their, with their sermon preparation as well. Not only that, that last year, um, our missions team, they um, allocated $1,500 to go to this mission in India for the specific purpose of digging and installing a well for a village that he was trying to plant a church in. So this, this well provides clean water for the people there. And not only they got clean water, but now there's a church there and our church has been a part of that ministry, all because we live stream. So what I'm saying is that we started out with something with this kind of vision and God has grown it to this and God just does immeasurably more than what we could all ever hope or imagine and he's doing things through a lot of different ways. So I just wanted to tell you that I had the opportunity to say a quick word about our live stream. I just wanted to tell you about that. The only thing else I wanna say is that we are trying to make our, our, our social media online presence as good as it can be. But with that, I say this um, and I, I want you to hear me. Um, we're not doing any of that so that you have a reason to not come to church. <laughs> All right? There is not a live stream of a worship service in the world that can replace sitting in the house of God, worshiping side by side with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's not a media platform that can ever replace that. There's not a media platform that can ever replace somebody shaking your hand, giving you a hug, saying, welcome, how can I pray for you? And that warm welcome. You can't drink coffee and eat donuts over the internet anyway. And so nothing can replace. But in all seriousness, um, God is using that and I think he's gonna continue to expand that. And we're gonna continue to explore how we can leverage technology for evangelistic purposes. But it's not so that you have a reason not to be here because there's nothing that can replace being in the house of God, worshiping him. And so, but if it's, a, but if it's something that can help, then we want it to be and, and help get the word out. Now, if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and turn on Matthew 19. That's where we're gonna be today. Matthew chapter 19. It's the first book in the New Testament. And uh, we're gonna get to that in just a moment. And while you're finding that, let me just remind you that we are in a series right now, our third week in our series called Aligned. And we have been diving into this specific question as a church family. What does it mean to be aligned with God? Well, we put this definition on aligned. Aligned means this, that everything is in its correct order or everything is in its, things are in its uh, appropriate relative position. In other words, if things are in the right order and everything is in the correct position, then we would call that aligned. And so as it relates to our walk with God, is it possible to be aligned with God? What does that, that mean? And we came to this conclusion that in your life, if God is in the right place, everything else will be too. Now, if God's in the right place, everything else will be too until he's not. And we explore that there are things that can come along in life and knock you out of alignment with God. A lot like when your car gets knocked out of alignment. If your car is out of alignment, well, it just doesn't drive quite as nice as it, it does. Well, your walk with Jesus can get knocked out of alignment. We, we looked at things 
What knocks people out of alignment? Well, last week we talked about some kind of unholy act, some sin can come into your life and, and kind of mess with your walk with God. Uh, there can be an ungodly pursuit that, that knocks you out of alignment. There could be some kind of uh, inappropriate response to some kind of traumatic thing. You know, trauma and things that come in our lives, they either pull us close to God or can push us away. It's all on us how we respond. Maybe there's some kind of unreconciled relationship that's knocked you out of whack a little bit with God or some kind of unfulfilled promise. But we looked at the story of Enoch from Genesis chapter five. And this is a man who lived 300 years and he walked with God the whole time. We lived 365 years, but it says 300, he walked with God. And we asked this question, is it possible to walk with God every day of your life and never get out of alignment? Is that possible? What does it mean to walk with God? Walking with God is a phrase that's used all over the Bible, and it just talks about somebody's devotion and their allegiance to their heavenly Father. So he walked with God means he's devoted. It's my way of saying, you align with God. So all this saying, so what do you gotta do to walk with God, to be aligned with God all of your life? And we looked at three things, that you've gotta trust God in everything. You have to adjust to God. God's not gonna adjust to the way you wanna live. We adjust to the way God wants us to live. And then we've gotta walk securely in him. And it's this idea of walking securely in him that I'd like to pick up our conversation today. What does it mean to walk securely in him? I don't necessarily mean to take us down some deep theological conversation about eternal security. That's not what this sermon is about. We're not going to be talking about if you can lose your salvation or once saved, always saved or, or any. We're not going to chase those trails. That's not what I mean when I say walk securely in him. What I mean by that really is this question. Is it possible to live your life thinking that you are aligned with God, that you and God are in a good place, but in reality, you're not? Is that possible? Is it possible to just be cruising along down life, all hunky-dory, thinking God and I are tight, Nothing could be better, but in actuality, you have pulled a wool over your eyes and you're not seeing your walk with God properly, your spiritual condition. You're not seeing it right. You're not aligned with God. Is that possible? I used to work with a guy one time, not in a church, but um, this was actually in a restaurant. This may surprise you. I've had other jobs besides being a preacher. Did you know that? Uh, I've worked in several restaurants. I've worked in quite a bit of retail. I worked for Marriott for six years. Um, I've worked at, I worked at a troubled uh, youth home for troubled kids for a year. I've had a lot of different. So what the story I want to tell you is, is back when I used to work at a restaurant, I was, it was a guy and I, we were prepping food for the day. And this conversation got struck up about religion, about faith and church. And I remember he said to me, he says, I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. And so I asked him, I said, well, how can you be so sure? And when I asked him that, I wasn't trying to be arrogant or holier than thou. That wasn't, I was just like, well, how can you be so sure? And I, I think maybe what motivated that question is, as I knew this guy, he didn't strike me as, I don't know what's the right word, religious. So we began to talk and, and, and as we, I asked him that question, how can you be so sure? He, he responded to that just as serious as his first statement. He said, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die because I am a good person. And he said, God doesn't send good people to hell. Have you ever had a conversation with anybody along those lines? And then he said, listen, I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't mistreat people. And that's why I know that when I die, God will let me into heaven. 
And we talked a little bit more that day about it, but I can tell you, he was a man that was fully convinced that he and God were tight, that we were in a good place. And like, like I said, I, I want you, I'm not trying to judge the guy. I'm not, I'm not his spiritual judge and jury. I don't want to be that for anybody. But I did know him well enough, and we spent enough time together that I knew a lot of other things about him too. I know he liked to sleep around. I know that he liked to think he partied like a rock star. And in his world, he was the most important person on the planet. So I was curious, how, how can you be so sure that you and God are tight? During Jesus' ministry, he met a guy who drew the same conclusion as my friend in that restaurant. It's this conclusion that I'm a good enough person to go to heaven. And his story is found in Matthew chapter 19. You got, you got your Bible open? If you could look at verse 16, this is how this conversation goes with Jesus. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And there it is. There it is right there. I think this man might as well be named any name that we'd give anybody today. Mike, Tom, Bob, Jim. It could be any of those because his question sounds so familiar with the way many people think today. What good thing? How good do I have to be? I think that represents how a lot of people think about religion and how people think about church and about faith. I'm a good person. And so that has got to count for something. You know, as I examine the state of the church here in America and, and kind of the mainstream thinking of American Christians today, I, I really observe that there is some level of an assumption among Christians today that falls into this camp of, you know what, I can do anything that I want and I can do it with anybody that I want to and I, and I can do anything I want and go anywhere I want to go as long as deep down I am a good person on the inside and I'm not out to hurt anybody. And sadly, that thinking right there is a reflection of a dwindling respect among Christians for the holy word of God. And it's a lack of fear of the one true God who inspired the words to begin with. So this man in Matthew chapter 19, he asked this question, what good thing must I do? Because his view was good things, good deeds, being a good person opens heaven's doors and he wanted Jesus to confirm that his thinking was correct. He wanted Jesus to look at his application for heaven and make sure that he had checked all the appropriate boxes and stamp approval on it. That's what he was wanting when he asked Jesus this question. And so here's Jesus' response. Look at verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. Now who's the one that Jesus is referring to? He's referring to God. There's only one who is good. You want to talk about good, there's only one that fits into the category of good, and it's not you, it's, it's God. And you may not realize this, but I hope by the time we're done here today, you will, that when Jesus said this about why do you want to talk about good, there's only one who is good, we have right there one of the most direct reasons for why th that Jesus ever gave for why he would eventually have to go to the cross and for why each and every one of us would one day have to decide who am I gonna follow and what do I believe? I think that'll make sense more as we get deeper into this today. 
This man who approached Jesus and he wanted to know about good things he's got to do, he had no idea that he was striking up this conversation with God. Now think about it, he had no idea. We know that Jesus is what? God in the flesh. We call it the incarnation. God stepped out of heaven and he walked among his creation. That's who Jesus was. And so he says, I want to talk about my goodness And I want to talk it with you, Jesus, having no clue that he was comparing his goodness with the only one that could ever be described as good. He was talking about God. Now, here's what the Bible tells us about Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus never sinned. Did you know that? Jesus never sinned. And it also tells us that Jesus was exposed and came under the same temptation that every single one of us was ever tempted with. Now you think about what tempts you. Fellas, what tempts you? And Jesus came under that. Yet, for his entire 33 years on this earth, he never sinned once. And that's why we talk about him as the perfect lamb of God. He's the only one that was ever truly good. So this guy comes along and he says, I want to know what good I got to do to go to heaven. And he has no idea that he can never accomplish this because Jesus even told him, there's only one who is good and it's not you. Our goodness and God's goodness are so far apart, they cannot even be measured. And this guy doesn't have a clue who he's talking to. So Jesus is actually setting a stage here to have a conversation about grace and what it really means to go to heaven. So he says, why do you want to ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but there is a solution. There is a answer to your question. And it's this, look at the rest of verse 17. If you want to enter life, Jesus said, and if you want to have eternal life, Jesus says this, how you do it? Keep the commandments. Now I find this an interesting response to his question. If you want to enter heaven, keep the commandments. What is Jesus talking about? He's specifically referring to the Ten Commandments. That's what this guy understood Jesus to be saying. Because this guy's like, hey, I know those. I know those commandments. He goes, which ones specifically? And Jesus said this in verse 18. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This has got to sound familiar to us too, doesn't it? You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy goes, all of it. Huh, that's good news. I've kept all of that. But there must have been something in Jesus' voice. We don't know what it was, but this guy certainly picked up on it. There had to have been something about the way Jesus was saying it to, to make this guy realize that something else needs to happen too. So in verse 20, he says, hey, I've, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Now, this is to me, I find this as an absolutely fascinating conversation that's so relevant to where people are at today. And I think about this, this short exchange that Jesus had with him, and he brings up these 10 commandments. Why in the world would Jesus bring up 10 commandments with this guy who's talking about good deeds? I mean, is Jesus somehow suggesting that in order to be saved, you have to obey a set of rules? Because if that's what Jesus is saying, then it sounds like this guy is on the right track. What good things do I have to do? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus brings up these 10 commandments because Jesus is the master at helping people see clearly what he wants them to see. Jesus brings up the 10 commandments in order to force this guy to think seriously 
about the word good and what is actually required for salvation. This guy believed he was good. He hadn't broken any of the commandments that Jesus had listed off. And that is as far as his goodness that he could see. Not breaking any of the commandments, being a good person. In his mind, that made him good. And if you think about it, I think we tend, even as Christians today, to think about faith in exactly the same way. I go to church. I pray. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I'm, I'm faithful to my spouse. Well, I know I'm better than the guy that sits next to me at work. Well, you ought to hear the phone calls he has. I'm a good person. And we tend to think about our walk with the Lord the exact same way. But Jesus points out to this guy, there's only one who is good. So in regards to the 10 commandments, why did Jesus bring it up? It's for this reason. He wanted this guy to see that obeying the commandments is actually an acknowledgement of God's authority to define the good that should be done. So like when we obey God's commandments, when we fall in line with his will, when we behave appropriately the way God wants us to, it's not shining a spotlight on us. It's not saying, look how great we are. By obeying the Lord and obeying his commandments, it's saying, look how great God is. And there's a fundamental difference. This guy wanted to be told, you are a good person. And what Jesus is saying, there's only one who is good and you need to point to him. And that's why we would keep the commandments, doing good deeds, going to church, saying our prayers, all of those things should never be viewed as an automatic passport to heaven, but really as a pointer to the absolute goodness of a holy God in heaven. So this guy in Matthew 19 is just like many of us today. They say, I'm, I'm, I'm good. That, that's got to that's gotta account for something. I, I'm a good person. And God one day is going to say, add a boy. Good job. But if we really break it down, isn't a lot of times the things that we think makes us good really is all about us? And it's not about the good God that he really is. So this, Jesus says there's only one who's good. You're not it. But there is a solution. Look at the very next verse. Jesus doesn't just leave him hanging. It's not like he's gonna let him walk away without any kind of answer at all. So Jesus says this. Let me, let me give you the solution. To, let me give you the real answer to what you're seeking. In, in verse 21, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There is a word in this verse that that deserves a little bit extra attention. And the word is this, perfect. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, I don't know about you, but that word perfect kind of intimidates me. I don't know if it intimidates you, especially in, in talking about it in my faith. I can't be perfect, can you be perfect? I've tried perfection, can't get there. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to be perfect and I never will be. But here Jesus drops this truth bomb on this guy. If you want to be perfect, what in the world? I don't know if that's obtainable. You know, I don't do this a whole lot, but I'm gonna do it today. I'm gonna dig into some original language. Um, I, I don't do that a lot in preaching just because it's, it's not natural for a lot of us to, to, to I mean, I dig into to the original language when I do my sermon prep, but I don't usually bring it out here. It's just help me understand the text. 
But you guys realize this. I'm going to do a little bit today. You guys realize that the English Bible, the New Testament that you have, it wasn't originally written in English. The, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so we translate from the Greek into English. And so you find the words that translate and to make it make sense. And we have really good translations. The, 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 we have really good ones. And it, and it is the heart of, of the scripture. When Jesus said, do you want to be perfect? If you want to be perfect, that, that Greek word that gets translated into the English word of perfect is a Greek word called teleos. And this is the word right here. Um, that's what it looks like. It's used 19 times in the New Testament. Most of the time, it's translated as that English word Perfect, But as you dig into it, as you would with any good language study, you find that a lot of words even have richer, fuller meanings and more application than maybe what we might have in our English. And this is the case with this word. If you look at this word and pull out its full meaning, you're going to understand that we say perfect, but this word means complete. This word means mature. This word means whole. It's like, you know, it's, I'm going to take a liberty, and I'm admitting to you, I'm going to take a liberty here. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, if you want to be perfectly aligned with God, if you want to be somebody who, in God's eyes, is a complete person, a whole person, somebody who is a mature person in God's eyes, if you're striving to be what God wants you to be, perfectly aligned with him, his will, his desires then being good is not how you get it. Back in verse 18, Jesus listed off a handful of commandments. And they weren't random commandments. Do you know what each one of the commandments that Jesus listed off of, do you know what they have in common? Each one of them is visible. Obeying them is visible for the world to see. Love your neighbor as yourself is visible. Honor your father and mother, that's visible. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so forth. He was quick to acknowledge, yep, I have been really good at the stuff that people can see in me. People might even point to him and see all of his goodness, say, yeah, there goes a good guy. But Jesus is like, you know, he's like, it's not the external, it's not the visible things that's causing the misalignment with God. It's the internal stuff. It's the stuff that only God sees that's causing this misalignment. As you unpack the depth of this conversation, really this man was all about his external obedience and he forgot all about the matters of the heart. And the matters of the heart is, is, is acknowledging sin and repentance and trusting Christ. He knew what being good was, but he was unwilling to repent and really follow the Lord. So Jesus says, I got a solution for you. I know how to fix, or I know the answer to your question. I want you to get rid of the thing that's causing the misalignment on the inside. And for this guy, the thing causing the misalignment was his stuff. He loved his stuff. And Jesus said, get rid of it, give it away, and then come follow me. Now, let me be very clear about something. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught that a sinner is saved by selling all of his goods and giving his money away? And some of you are like, whew, I'm glad that's not in there. But nowhere are we taught that. That's not how somebody gets saved. But what did Jesus say to this man? What did Jesus know about him that nobody else did? Jesus can see right into his heart. 
Jesus knew that this man was greedy. Jesus knew that this man loved his money and he loved the things that money could buy. And he loved that more than anything else. So when this guy comes and says, tell me what good thing I gotta do. And she said, there's only one who is good and I can see right into your heart and I can see what you love the most. So I'm gonna tell you something. If you get rid of it, we're gonna come back into alignment and all will be good. Jesus is forcing this guy to examine his own heart and to determine his priorities. So get rid of the junk, examine what's really important, and then come follow me. On the outside, good guy, but he did not really love God on the inside. And that is where his misalignment was located. If you read the rest of the story, you know that this is not a happy story. This does not end well for this guy because you know what the Bible says? When he learned what he really had to do to follow Jesus and what it would be required of him to be in alignment with God, it says he walked away sad because he had so much stuff. He chose misalignment because he wouldn't get rid of the stuff that was keeping him from what he ultimately wanted, salvation. Isn't that a sad story? Going back to the question we started with today, is it possible to live your life thinking that you are aligned with God, that you and God are tied, but in reality, you're not? Well, if you wanna know what my opinion is, based on where I'm at in my study today and understanding of God's word, my answer to that question would be this. Yes, I do believe that you can pull the wool over your own eyes, just like the man in Matthew 19 had done. I think you can focus on your goodness status, the stuff that people see externally in your life, and you can neglect the essential matters of the heart, the inside, the stuff that the Lord sees, that no one else sees, like confronting your own sin and repenting before God and being humble before your maker and trusting him all the days of your life. So, I come to this question. How in the world would you know if you pulled the wool over your own eyes? How would you be able to tell? Well, let me ask this question. Is there anything right now in your life that is so precious to you that even if God himself told you to give it up, you wouldn't? And if the answer is yes, there is, well, maybe the wool's been pulled over your eyes. I could give you lots of examples. Let me just give you a couple practical ones. If God were to say, if God were to make himself audibly known and he would speak with his own words and he he came and presented himself to you and he said, hey, look, I want you to do something. I want you to quit hunting and fishing. I want you to give all your equipment away. Get rid of your boat, give it to somebody else. I want you to rid your life of all of that and then you'll have alignment with me. And if God told you to do that, um, would you do it? And if you wouldn't, well, perhaps the wool's over your eyes. What if God were to make his presence known and say to you audibly, I want you to end this relationship with that person. I want you to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. What if God said that to you? What if God said, hey, I can see off in the future and I already know that this person is gonna pull you away from me. This person is gonna make it so difficult for you to walk with me moving forward. And I want you, I know you're in love, and I know it, but I want you to end this relationship. It's not right, it's coming between us. 
God told you to do it, would you do it? And if not, yeah, the wool might be over your eyes. What if God were to say to you, hey, you know that job that you have right now? Well, that job's really tearing us apart. That job's keeping you away from your church family. That job is causing you to, to violate your integrity. It's, it's causing you to, to be in compromising positions. It's dragging you away from me. And, and, and we're not right because this job is, has made it so hard for us to be together. And I, I want you to trust me and I want you to, to quit that job. If God told you to quit your job, would you do it? Like, I'm not quitting my job. Well, maybe the wool's over your eyes. One more. What if God said to you, sports are dominating your life? I, I, want, you to, I want you to back away from all this sports. In fact, if fantasy football was a Bible study, you'd be a Bible scholar by now, Okay. But if God said, sports are taking you away from me, it's, it's interfering. Sports right now is painting a path for your children to never want to follow me either. I want you to stop. Get rid of it. If God told you to do that, would you? And if you wouldn't, well, maybe the wool's over your eyes. I could give you lots of examples the point is, you can be a good person and people will pat you on the back and say, man, there goes a good guy. But just being good may actually give you a false read on being good with God and aligned with him. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, tells us something very insightful about how God looks at things. It says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at what? The outward appearances. That's what people look at. But what does God look at? God looks at your heart. Because God can do that, he saw this man in Matthew 19 for what he really was. You're greedy, you love your money, get rid of it, and you can be right with me. If that's true, that man looks on the outside and God looks right to your heart, and I believe with all my heart that that is true. If that's true, when God looks into your heart, what does he see? Does he see alignment or misalignment? But here's the great news. Misalignments don't have to be permanent realities. This rich man in our text, he chose misalignment. We don't have to choose misalignment. Just a few moments ago, as we looked at verse 17, when, when God says, I'm the only one, only God is good. And I said that that is the most direct reason given for, by Jesus for why he had to go to the cross and why everybody else would have to choose him because only God is good. Do you realize when he says only God is good that none of us could ever measure up to it which also means that you and I do not have or possess what it takes to save ourselves. There is not a level of goodness that we could ever maintain or achieve that would ever grant us access to the one who is good. And that sets the stage, my friends, for why Jesus went to the cross. Probably the most succinct verse in the Bible that explains this is Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It just simply says this, for it is by God's, what? Grace. This is where God looked at us and said, I still love you even though you're a screw up. I still love you 
And I know because I created you and I know every intimate detail about you that you do not possess what it will take to meet my goodness level. So I'm gonna extend you some grace. So, for it is by grace. It's not by your goodness. It is by God's grace that you are saved. Through what? Through faith. What in the world is that? Well, simply put, faith. What constitutes faith? It is this belief that God stepped out of heaven and he walked the earth. And that's Jesus. And Jesus died for the sins of the world. He's the only one good, the perfect lamb of God, the sinless one who was good enough to die and take on all of our sins. So our faith is that Jesus died and they put him in a tomb for three days. And three days later, he rose to life and Jesus is alive today and he's coming back. And whether we meet him in the air like the Bible says on that great day or we die first, we know that he's alive today and we will be with him forever because that's my faith. So we are saved by God's grace. He knows we're not good enough, never will be. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So our faith in him matches the gift that God gave us. So we, it is by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is not of yourselves, because we're not good enough. It is the gift of God. It is absolutely a gift that any of us would ever think we'd walk with Jesus on streets of gold one day. It's a gift. Well, as you finish the story, there's, there, there's a lot more to this story and we're not gonna get into it. They, they talk a little bit more about riches and that's the subject that comes up after this man. See, there was this belief that, um, a common belief, a misunderstood belief back in Jesus' day that if you were a rich person and you had a lot of stuff, that that was a sign of God's blessing, that you were a super child of God. And so this super child of God walked away sad because he wouldn't, and so the disciples are like, if he's not saved, then how in the world are we, us poor guys, ever gonna be saved? And Jesus like, doesn't work that way, but I love verse 25. When Jesus, when, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, well, who can be saved then? If that guy can't, then who can? And don't you love Jesus' words? With man, it's impossible. We don't have what it takes. But with God, boy, praise God, all things are possible, including, including saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's possible because of God. Friends, let me hear, let me, I want you to hear me. You're never gonna be good enough. And I, I say this respectfully. There's not enough little old ladies to walk across the street to gain God's attention. <laughs> and I don't mean any disrespect by that. There's not enough lawns you can cut for your neighbors. There's not enough money you could ever give to any organization. There's just nothing that you can do that will check enough boxes that God would say, ah, now you've made it. If you compare Christianity to every world religious religion anywhere, it is the only one where you are saved, not by what you do for God, but by what God has already done for you through Jesus. Compare it to any world religion, it's a works-based faith. I do this to earn the deity's approval. That's not Christianity. 
We are approved because God has already done it for us. We accept it by faith. And that's the fundamental difference. Friends, you're never gonna be good enough. Don't try. Our goodness is only there to shine a spotlight on the one who truly is. And that's our Heavenly Father. Let me pray for you. Dear gracious God, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. And Lord, uh, help us to bury this idea that we could ever earn your approval. Lord, we can only accept your grace. And Lord, my prayer for our, everybody in this room today is that they would do just that. That Lord, we would see ourselves clearly in our spiritual condition clearly that it's only by your grace that we're saved and, and our response, Lord, is faith. So Lord, I pray for anybody in this room today that has never put their faith in you that has never uttered the words, Lord, I am so sorry for my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you died and rose to life and are coming back again. Please forgive me. I'm gonna make you my leader. Lord, I wanna align with you. I'm gonna accept your gift of grace through faith. Lord, I pray if anybody is there that today would be the day that they'd make that decision. Lord, we thank you that you've opened heaven's doors to us. We thank you, Lord, that you were not selfish with your blessing of eternity and that you wanted to spend it with your creation. Thank you for paving the way. Thank you for dying on the cross. We are forever changed. And it's in your name we pray, amen. amen.